Well, hello there, friend, and welcome back to the show. So today's episode is a a second part to a two-part episode. We are concluding our conversation with Cricket Harrison. We're talking about neurodiversity and leadership. So if you haven't already listened to part one, I highly recommend going back and listening to that one first. That was Monday's episode. So the episode right before this one, go back to that one, have a listen. It sets some context and it'll give you just a bit better of a place to listen to this second half of the conversation. And now for those of you who have heard that one and you're ready and you're going, you're excited, you're looking forward to the second part and the conclusion of our conversation, you're going to love it. We now segue into talking directly about folks who identify as neurodivergent and who are looking to move into leadership and and are possibly having thoughts or having concerns about whether it's possible, because I've certainly had a lot of those conversations with people in my community and in my life. And she gives some really good thoughts and some really thoughtful feedback. And for those of you who do not identify as neurodivergent, I still highly recommend listening to the conversation because it will also give you a lot of insights about working with folks who do identify as neurodivergent. So whether it's teammates or if you're a positional leader, someone on your team, or you're looking up and you maybe and you may not realize that but you likely have neurodivergent folks who are higher up in your leadership. So it's going to give you some really great insights. So however you identify neurodivergent or not, you want to listen to this episode. So let's get it going. Well, hey there, I'm Liz St. Jean, and this is the Unruly Leadership Podcast, where I help subject matter experts like you design a career on your terms. It's where strategy meets intuition to help you break the rules, ignore the rules, and make your own damn rules. So let's break free from perfectionism, imposter thoughts, and that inner rule keeper that's keeping you in your career comfort zone. It's time to become unapologetically you and step into the life you were meant to live. We're going to talk presence, productivity, career, and having it all. Or as my four-year-old would say, we're going to take over the world. So let's get to it. We we're talking about that piece around hiring for competency and folks who are identifying as neurodivergent. And a lot of the competencies, especially now in today's age, talk about emotional intelligence and communication. You're, you, know, you need to be a strong communicator. And I, I'm just curious to hear your perspective around that and how, how we use competency, um, especially for certain things that people might not feel strong about naturally or that like that takes more effort compared to other aspects of their strengths that they have. So you mean from an employee that might have the challenge or or an aspiring leader that might feel like they're neurodivergent. So for the one, one thing we have to own is what we're good at and what we're not. And that's regardless of whether we're neurodivergent or not. I often teach people and teach and preach, I will say, to learn to work the way you work best and then learn how to have that conversation. So if I am someone, well, I am, I'm incredibly visual. You never want me listening to a book on tape while while I'm driving. 
that is an accident waiting to happen because I will go in my head and create the picture, which means I have no idea what's going on in front of me. My daughter, on the other hand, is 99% auditory. Now, some people will tell you those aren't real and that there's not enough science. You know an auditory learner when someone can sit down and play the piano by sound. So my daughter is that type. And you be careful if you ever meet her because you say it once and she remembers it. She doesn't need to read it. I need to read it. She just needs to hear it. And so it's teaching people, okay, so, um, hey, Liz, this is a great conversation. I really don't want to lose anything. Do you mind if I record our chat and then I'll send you an update later? Are you ever offended when someone says that? Oh, Liz, oh my God, I love what you're saying. I don't want to miss a bit of this. Do you mind if I take notes while we're talking? You're not going to be offended. And people that have this or feel like they lose focus, feel like they're not communicating well, um, they, there are strategies and structures to put in place to help you. The key is it's not a one size fits all. And that's the biggest mistake I think I see, especially when we get into these larger groups. It's great to have support. But everybody offers what works for them instead of asking someone what works for you. And, you know, how one person, I've got a really brilliant friend in the computer industry. Whether she's neurodiverse or not, I don't know. My guess is she is, but again, I don't know. I, it, it, no clue. But here's the example I'll give you. Uh, uh, we were at a conference together and sharing a room, and I was ironing clothes. I hate to iron. I don't know why I was ironing, but I was ironing something. I guess I thought I needed to look good. And I was watching Good Morning America or something on, on the show, the news, and she was doing something or working. And she says to me, um, do you mind if we turn that off? I can't get ready or it's too distracting. Now, I don't think she was actually working on her computer, but she was doing something. And I'm like, no, not at all. Really, for me, when you've raised kids, it's like background noise. You know, sometimes you don't even know it's there. But if it's too quiet, you worry. So for me, like, so I didn't mind. It's not that I needed it to function or anything. And, um, but I was just aware of it, right? Not a big deal. And the event ends and we are down. Everybody's gathering at this, um, this was a place out in the mountains. And so they had this big kind of gathering place around a fireplace that they did happy hours, but it was the lounge area. It was like the only kind of meeting place for after hours things noisy as you know what and apparently where we were staying it was like the small town's weekend dance floor or dance hall so so starting you know as it got darker all the locals started coming in and they were setting up it was kind of fun to watch but what was really interesting that I noticed was here was my friend and noisy like a bar party wedding something noisy okay here she was sitting in the middle of this on her computer, working away, not distracted at all. So it's not that she didn't need noise or did need. It depended on the task she was doing. So even in one person, based on the task and the mental energy required, how you focus and how you work is different, which is why those questions are so important. We can't ever assume that two people that might have the same, you know, challenge on the spectrum, whether they call it a superpower, whatever they got, we can't assume it's going to show up identical. We can't assume, well, it worked for her, so it's got to work for him. We, we have to have those conversations. Now, when we are uh, the owner of the challenge and the superpower, we have to know that. And we have to, you know, I used to always tell my clients, um, 
you still got to be on time. You know, yes, it's a challenge. That's why there's all these apps, all these things. There's a reason all these smartwatches came out and they didn't come out because we could do this all by herself. They came out because it was the next step knowing it's one of the number one things people are challenged with, whether they're neurodivergent or not, as our worlds are so much busier now. The more we add, ironically, computers and software, the more we seem to expect people. So again, this goes back to whether you're the manager, the leader, or the employee. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've worked with where somebody was let go and they're just not going to fill. And this is not COVID related. They're just not going to fill the position because they've got technology. But now they want the one person to kind of do the job of three. And because technology is so fast, oh, yeah, could you have it done immediately? And so we have to start to learn, you know, what is what is what our expectations are, what what is real. And then for us, we have to, you know, if if you're someone who feels that you struggle with this, you know, what are the strategies or structures you need to be successful? Some people, it is that smartwatch. Some people, it is a calendar appointment for everything so they get a five-minute warning. Some people, it is, well, for everybody, it's really diet and exercise, but we won't go down that path. But it might be more than that. It might be, I need to get up and move. You know, there's so much talk right now about oh, different ways to, to get a project done. There's the Pomodoro effect. There's eat the frog. There's this. You know what? It's whatever works for you. Some people build confidence and strength by doing little small tasks and they feel really good. And I, I, I'm one who loves nothing more than to cross something off a to-do list or hit delete because it's done, right? Um, some, some people like and they need to do that to get the courage to tackle the bigger project. They're like, yeah, I'm on a roll. Let's go. Other people are like, the little piddly stuff is killing me. I just want to do the big project. It doesn't matter as long as they get all get done when they're supposed to be done. So we have to learn both as leaders and as employees that want to grow and maybe be a leader is how do we work best? How do we set ourselves up for success? How do we have a conversation for what we need? And at the same time, how do we meet standard expectations? It's like, you know, I tell my clients, I, you still got to stop at a stop sign. Lack of focus is no excuse. You know, so we can't use anything as an excuse. If you are someone who does struggle, you know, some of the different challenges, especially when we get more down into the spectrum, are eye contact. And, you know, if you're working with someone who is very smart, but maybe their social skills aren't as good and they tend to not look at you, they might look down, they might look to the side a lot. Uh, a, just know that about them and don't make it about you. You know, if they're not disrespecting you, some little tidbit here, when people are memorizing things and have forgotten, their eyes are going to go up to the right. When they've really forgotten and they can't remember, they're going to go down to the left to try to create. So, again, don't make it about you. Like, don't, I think we get too caught up in our own experience sometimes to remember the other person's experience. So if somebody is looking off and you notice the pattern, then you know it's not about you, so don't get upset by it. You know, don't, don't let things bother you that aren't. Is the job getting done? If this person is maybe not the best communicator, but they're great at their job, then let's figure out a way for them not to be the, the front person on the team that communicates to an out, outside client. 
or let's make sure they are trained or that we have kind of some standard process for, you know, for emails and things. I've seen some discussion in groups recently around assessments, and I know people have all sorts of opinions on them, but I can tell you when it comes to having a conversation sometimes with a neurodivergent thinker, they're incredibly helpful for people to go, oh, yeah, sometimes I can be really short. I'm the talk to the hand person, and I need to recognize that this person's super chatty, so I need to kind of find a middle ground. Um, you know, it's what does that look like? And, and I cannot stress enough that if you feel like you fall into this category, now I'm going to be talk about labels here for a minute because prior to this, Liz and I had a little chat about that too. Um, labels are only important if they're important to you. And I really want to drive that home. Labels are a, a necessary evil for a couple of reasons. Number one is somewhere back in the day, science decided that's how they were going to do it. They classify everything. That's just, that's just the way our world is. Ironically, the more we seek to get away from labels, we create new labels. So if someone's talking to me, I'm not concerned with a label for them unless they are. And typically in the coaching consulting world, we're not even so much concerned with a label either unless they want medication. Then you have to have a diagnosis, right? But other than that, it's like, hey, you know, I noticed you're super creative and you're so good at the, like, you can brainstorm a zillion ideas. We need to work on this skill set over here, or we need to find a way to use, you know, your brain power over here because you've got a great vision for the company. And what does that middle road look like? What's the part you're good with? What's the part you need help with? What's the part you would let go of? And what's the part you think is your superpower? So that somebody doesn't fall through the cracks. And we have to be mindful of not getting upset with people that don't meet our expectations when we have not set our expectations clearly up front or communicated them. That's something I see a lot of times. Well, they should just know. No, not always. An email, we all know how hard it is to read tone and intention sometime in email. And the flip side of being too direct is being too polite. And it's hard to believe that's a thing, but people now take that as insincerity or just kind of saying what they need to say to get by. Um, those are conversations that are easy to have. Most people that struggle with communication know they struggle with communication. Most people that struggle with that are not going to apply for your positions that put them out there. Now, what they may do is be senior VP of operations and systems behind the scenes. And then somebody says, we're having a conference. We want you to go speak. And that's a whole nother conversation. That's where you say, am I the best person for this? Should my counterpart go or do I get help with this? And we have to, right? It's one thing I see a lot of people thrust into speaking at conferences and some love it, but for everyone that loves it, two people are having massive anxiety attacks because, and it's not an introvert thing because most of your big speakers, just like your actors and your comedians are introverts. It's, it's an anxiety thing that is so real to them that they feel like they're having a heart attack or something. So it's, again, what's the position? If we know someone struggles with communication, do they have to be in a position where they do all the communication? If they struggle with writing, honestly, most people I know have to submit a writing sample first. The best way to do the writing sample is live in the moment. 
is set, it's not a huge one, but such that it's not something they could have pre-done or had someone proof or edit for them because you want the reality of what's there and to see how they think and how they respond, especially if they're going to be in a situation where they're in front of people. Um, communication skills can be taught. The challenge is if it's something that that is not connecting in the wiring up here um, and rewiring to a degree can be done. It's, I'm not saying it can't. It takes a lot of work and effort that is often mentally exhausting to the client. It can be done if it's truly desired. So some people are like, yes, I really want to do this. I really want to get better. I mean, we've got autistic keynote speakers that do fabulously that have, you know, we've got Asperger's leaders that do fabulously that have learned to look at people better. They have worked on their skill. Um, but, but their brilliance is still in their one thing that they're known for. So that was the long answer. No, that's great. Oh my gosh. There's so much good stuff in there. And I think there's the, the, the one piece I want to make sure that we have a chance to chat about. So I'm just going to jump straight to it, even though I want to like pull in so many threads and everything you said, but let's jump to it because one of the things I've certainly heard, uh, from, from clients and conversations and folks in my community are the ones that are kind of holding themselves back and whether it's for that they identify as neurodivergent or not, but pulling themselves back from going for a more senior position, especially thinking about executive level. And they're telling this story and I just want to check in with you about telling a story that, well, I, I won't be able to do that. And especially yeah. hear this it, it's I, whether it's autism or Asperger's or ADHD, I think it's very is a very common story of like the fear that they're going to set themselves up for failure, and it's just not possible. Like it'll just be too much, and I don't want to put myself, but I don't want to put my family through that. So it, I love that you bring that up because it goes back to what I was saying uh, earlier. It's here's what happens. Here's where I want to be. I can see myself. On the one hand, it's like you've got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on other, right? Um, it's, you've got the one going, go for it. You know, you can do this. We can see you there. This is what you want. And the devil's going, you've never made it in the past. You never finish what you start. You may have already, you may have gotten in trouble in school because some people did, or you may have been the daydreamer who just zoned out. Um, you're never present or you don't know how to focus. And so what happens is from a little bitty kid, this stuff, if this stuff comes out of the blue, it's a traumatic brain injury. If this is modified by diet, then it's a food allergy. It's, there's a really clear process here. Um, is that, that voice, that subconscious level voice started by the age of seven. And that's where we learn that, and that's where that anxiety and depression comes in. And instead of saying, okay, this is what I want subconsciously, it's like, but I'll never get there. I never have before. So it's not going to happen. And we end up self-sabotaging and we have to learn to break those patterns. And um, I think I mentioned to you before we recorded that there's something I was taught by Sherry Pruitt, who's one of my mentors, that um, we have to learn when we're being lumpers and when we're being splitters. So there's things that happened in our life that once we know we're ADHD or autistic or that we have a, a speech impediment or that we're dyslexic, um, it's very easy to blame everything on that. And that's not always the case. We have to um, share with kids, we used to always say, is it, are they being naughty or is it their neurology? 
So again, when you're when you're in the workforce, is it and you want something, is this is it that we really don't know how to do it or don't think we can, or is it the neurology getting in our way? And if you know, if I say, hey, this is really what I want. I really want to be, you know, senior VP of sales. A lot of my people are great with sales that are my verbal process ADHDers because they're out talking and they, make, they can make the sales. But please do not ask them to submit a timesheet or even track their own money. I had a client who was over $10,000 in reimbursements she hadn't submitted, uh, but she was great at sales. So if you know that you have some type of gap in your skill sets, you have to set out to work on that gap. That's all there is to it. You have to hang on to your vision of where I want to be, what I know I'm good at. I'm brilliant at sales. I know this. I'm really good at reading people. I get people. I'm able, you know, people look at attention. It's called attention deficit um, hyperactive disorder. It, there's no deficit at all. It's an overload. They pay attention to everything. That's part of the problem. They can't block things out. So subsequently what happens is they can often put together the pieces of the puzzle much more quickly. They will pick up on little things here and there, and all of a sudden they have an answer. And if someone says, how did you come up with that? They'll be like, I don't know. You didn't see it? Like they don't know they do it. And so if like that's a superpower and makes them so good with seeing people or what they want or what the result is, but they know they struggle over here, then you either have to say, okay, I'm going to hire or put a team around me to do that, which any good CEO has a team around them, right? Uh, any, any nonprofit leader has to have a heck of a team in order to get anything done, or they have phenomenal executive assistants. And those executive assistants honestly tend to be the people who are much more introverted, who like the structure and the order and like to keep everything done. So you have to find like, your yin and your yang for, for your gap. And, or you have to work on it and know that it might not ever be as strong as this. It's like if you're right-handed, your left hand is never going to be as dominant as your right hand, as long as you have both of them, right? But it doesn't mean you can't learn to do things with your left hand. It doesn't mean the skill set can't be there. It just means you're going to have to invest the time to work on it. And if you can't do that, then you're going to have to say, okay, then I'm going to have to hire. Uh, I know people who in their world hire personal assistants to help them get some of the small stuff done. I've had people at work who've had to get permission to do that, but some people do it because they're great at their work, but they're lousy at the finances of their house and managing their home. And, you know, we have to be willing to own and really not be embarrassed of. Everybody is not good at everything. Can you think how boring that would be? Can you think how boring it would be if everybody was good at everything and this did everything the same way? So notice too that if somebody triggers you. If, if something is triggering you in terms of where you want to go, then there's a fear there. So kind of try to figure out where that came from. And if the opposite side of that is true in terms of maybe I want, you know, Susie Q over here to maybe come up in the company, but I'm concerned about something. Notice if it triggers you, there's often something you've experienced in your family or your upbringing that, that's representative of this to you. There's a reason it's triggering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you really hit on it there too. And it actually kind of ties together a few pieces of what you were saying in terms of this, like 
the strengths and the talents and recognizing that like, even tying right back to the very beginning around the idea of neurodiversity, like, like truly we are, we are all so different. So that diversity of thought, that diversity of experience, the diversity of opinion is just so powerful and so important. And I think to tie it all together, like both for, for, for those of you listening, so wh- wherever you identify in this is just recognizing both for your yourself that that you are special and that that you have you bring certain talents, you bring certain strengths and and to look for other talents and to look for other strengths and to to really build that trust again, whatever your position is, like you can do this. Like, I mean, it, it's a little bit cliche, but you know, every, everyone's a leader, but it is, it is true because leadership is about influence. It's about inspiring people. It's about supporting and, and um, cre- creating something bigger than just ourselves and just the, the sum of the whole. So all of this speaks to that wherever you fall in terms of identifying as neurodivergent or identifying as a, a leader of folks who are neurodivergent. Well, and I think if people did the research, they would they would be uh, pleasantly surprised at the number of well-known leaders who uh, would identify as, you know, either ADHD or I have a friend who um, her son is autistic and, and she says, yeah, I may have a touch of it too. My son says I have a touch of the tisms. And that's what she called it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love that. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, but see, she owns it. She doesn't let it make her feel bad. She is brilliant at what she does and she doesn't do what she's not brilliant at she doesn't put herself in that situation and and so you know I I was really thinking circling back to the beginning for me and what's at my core and what I work with people on is you know we talk about emotional intelligence for people well you have to have the individuals in order to have an emotionally intelligent team and part of that teamwork is knowing that if I've got somebody that might be slightly autistic but is really good at what they do and maybe their communication is not fabulous. And my dog apparently is going to pop in and say hello. <laughs> um, sorry about that. So good. Um, you, listen, you can't see it. Oh, is it chocolate lab, right? She's a, she's a silver lab. I'm so sorry. Uh, oh, she's never done this before. So she must be so good. Out. So for those of you who are still listening, yeah, we got chocolate lab. I don't know if you, she's, she's kind of uh, making her presence known. And my cat was meowing earlier. So it's like, it's, it's a. Uh, um, for baby central over here. Well, and, and let's, and again, you know, we started COVID with everybody so worried about things and what do people think, which I think a lot of this neurodiverse conversation comes to what do people think? And we've got to learn to have grace and, and, you know, be accepting. But again, I'm just going to pull this all back to, um, treat people like people show them they're valued. It's okay. We all have to have difficult conversations sometimes. Things don't always work out, but treat people with respect and help them feel valued, seen, and heard. And you are going to make more sales with clients, have more raving fans. But as a leader, you know, employee engagement, a lot of people talk about, oh, it's a toxic environment. But when I can get beneath that, again, it's kind of a catch-all term and label right now. They didn't see, they didn't feel seen, valued, or heard. And it doesn't matter who it is. It does not matter anywhere on this planet. Every human at their core wants that. And neurodiverse thinkers are no different. And we have to remember they've been around, we've been around every forever. It's just now it's okay to talk about. You know, they're, they're what's gotten us to where we are today. I love that. 
Well, thank you so much, Cricket. This has been so interesting and fascinating and, and super fun when, with our, both of our fur babies joined <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, in all my, in all my years doing this, I did, I did 60 presentations during COVID from March to December, not once to this month. <laughs> I love it. I think it's so fun. I think it's so, and people, I think to your point, you're like, people love real, like they love, like we all, we, everything, we're all real at this point. So I love it. But thank you so, so much for this and for, for sharing your thoughts. And um, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So they can connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Cricket, uh, I say Cody because it's on Facebook, Cricket Harrison. It's Cricket with a K. Uh, my website is Smart Success Inc. Currently being redone, but I do get emails, info at smartsuccessinc.com. Um, and of course, there's always good old Facebook where we met. And my maiden name, which I was saying earlier, is on Facebook. So it's Cricket Cody Harrison. And all I ask people is to let me know where we connected from. So when I get kind of DMs, as it were, people sliding into the DMs, I know where they came from. Awesome. I might be older than I know the terminology. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I love I, I Sometimes I think of myself as a social media dinosaur, just like, what's the terms that they sliding into the DMs? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what my kids are for, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. And for those of you listening, thank you so much for tuning in as always. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks, Liz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If this podcast helped you or inspired you in any way, I would love for you to leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts. It takes about 20 seconds, if that, and it's, it's honestly the easiest way for you to thank me for this episode. Every time I see a review, it brings me so much joy and it just lights me up. So if you could do that for me, I would be ever so grateful. Now, the other thing you can do is you can take a screenshot of this episode or even a screenshot of your review and send it to a friend or share it in a Facebook group or even post on your LinkedIn newsfeed to let other people know about this podcast and this episode. Thanks again. And now get out there and start breaking some rules.